Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome into the PHNX Coyotes podcast brought to you by the one and only DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review. I'm Liam Merrill, here with Steve Peters and Craig Morgan, as always, but today we're so excited to welcome in a very special guest, Tim Bernhardt. And just for some background, Tim spent 25 years in the scouting business with the Dallas Stars and the Coyotes. He was an amateur scout with the Stars in 93, head scout in 98, and became their director of amateur scouting in 1999, joined the Coyotes in 2011 as a scout and was the director of amateur scouting from 2013 to 2018 and oversaw the selection of some players that you all may be familiar with, Christian Dvorak, Michael Bunting, Connor Garland, Christian Fisher, Clayton Keller, Jacob Shirkin, Barrett Hayton, and Jan Yannick. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Wow. Welcome to the podcast. That was a... And that's it for the show today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks so much yeah. for today, joining just us. Today, just a few. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Tim, we got to ask first off, before we, before we launch into the million questions that you, we want to ask you about the scouting process, the drafting process, what have you been up to since you left the Coyotes? Yeah, well, it's been uh, four years now. Time flies for sure. So um, I'm just enjoying retirement. Um, I'm in Arizona. We have a place here for the winter, and uh, I enjoy my time down here. It's uh, just from being here as a as a scout, I realized what a great spot it was, and uh, started planning my retirement then. And uh, I bought a place about five years ago. Of course, COVID kept us away a little bit, but uh, been just keeping busy doing that. Um, we have some, you know, a few uh, properties that we manage and stuff, but. Uh, uh, golfing, um, like I say, renovated a, a place yeah, this winter yeah. down here, which kept me busy. I enjoy doing that you stuff. You finished with that now, by the way? I'm finished now, and we have oh, lots okay. of visitors. Lots of lots of people from uh, the north like to come down for uh, to visit, you know? So it's, it's awesome. We love having them, and we love entertaining. So it's, it's been good. Do you miss the grind of scouting? Uh, that I don't miss. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're always going to miss hockey, but I get my fill of hockey. Um, the grind, uh, it's it, it started to... It started to get you know i mean like leah said 25 years actually it was 28 years and uh it's a lot of travel and i i, I don't and the 200 games you know that thing i don't <laughs> miss that you know it's like some people ask me um you know do you miss the draft and i say yeah i miss the draft but the minute that i think in order to be at the draft and and be a part of the draft you have to go to 200 hockey games and and that that 
makes me quickly uh, remember that no, I don't miss it. You know, so we got to have elite prospects update your profile because they've got you down for twenty five. That's that's on me. It's twenty eight. <laughs> well, wow. Yeah. Well, I did work three years with Central Scouting before I. That's right. Uh, that's right. And I did I, that. I did so between Dallas and and Phoenix, it was twenty eight, twenty five, and then I worked three years with the NHL Central Scouting. That's how I got my start uh, when I finished playing. So. It was a great uh, a great way to get started in the business and, and learn. So that's that's how I got my beginning. But Tim, you talk about the grind, and I think that's something that the people want to hear about. It's like you talk about working in pro sports, and oh, it's glamorous, it's <laughs> fantastic, and how much fun it is. And you're going to these fancy buildings, you're going to Staples or whatever it is now in L.A. And you're going to these nice. Well, it's not the way it is when you're scouting amateurs, right? Like, what is a day in the life of an amateur scout that feed her on the ground? Well, you know, when you're, especially when you're um, the director of amateur scouting, you, your days are pretty busy. Uh, you're, you're, you're scheduling for yourself, for others, your hotels, your flights. Um, then you got to, got to read over reports because you're getting reports coming in every day. You got to read over those reports, stay on top of that, where the players are, what everybody's thinking about the players. Uh, and then, uh, you have to go to a hockey game that night, you know? So then, so then you get back late that night and you start it all. And then the next day you got to do a report on that game. And then you got, again, you got other things, you got to call your scouts, talk to your scouts. Um, so you're busy. So it's, 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 uh, it's keeps you really hopping. And then of course the travel, there's mm. so many days where you're just traveling and you got flights and you got delays and you got, uh, hotels to check in rental cars. You got to check in, you got lineups, you got lineups at the airport, you got lineups at the, uh, rental car, you got lineups at the hotel. So it's, it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it, that's what I mean by the grind. And I think, um, one of the things I realized between when I was between jobs in Dallas and, uh, Phoenix, I started doing the math on it and like really from the, for the scouting season, like from the end of November, because what, what I used to do in October, September, October is I would do Ontario. So I would be home, but I would be going to games every night. And then from November 1st, basically till the end of April, which is a six month period, um, I started doing the math and I was, uh, I was, that's 26 weekends, like half a year, 26 sure. weekends. And I was home for two weekends out wow. of those 26. Wow. And wow. so in between, when I was done with the, when I finished with Dallas, I said, okay, my next job, whatever it is, I'm not going to be away <laughs> yeah. like that. So I made sure that, you know, every second or third weekend for sure I was home. home. You know, you got kids, you got, and then that's, they go to school during the week. So the weekends are when you get to spend sure. a lot of time with them, you know, and here, mm. here you are, you're not there, you know. So it's, it was tough. And, it, and uh, you know, thank goodness for, you know, your spouse, your wife. She obviously, two boys, she was, she was excellent. And she did, she did the bulk of the work. I tried to make up for it in the summer. You're home more. But, uh, yeah, the winters, you're, you're gone a lot. Did you get to keep the frequent flyer miles and the hotel points? That's my question. Well, the good thing about <laughs> both of it is I, I scouted long enough that I did get uh, elite status for life with Air Canada wow, and with wow. life wow. and with Marriott. No so. Nice. so you're a Marriott guy. Good to <laughs> hear that. We, we all yeah, get that yeah. in this business. Yeah, and, and, and I got lifetime for both of them. So that really helps because it's nice now even to travel and, and have those perks. So Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Do you still follow minor hockey at all or now that you're out of it you're kind of like let me just <laughs> relax and not yeah i follow like the I nhl um you know quite a bit obviously there's still you know there's still uh 25 or 30 players that i was a part of drafting yeah. that are still playing so it's still fun to follow, That's and they really will be cool. there for many more years to come you know because i finished in 18 and a lot of those kids will still be playing in the nhl 10 12 15 years from now so i do follow that minor hockey not so much junior hockey college hockey not so much. I do have some, you know, I have friends that are still in the business. So when I talk to them, 
um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that, but, uh, no, I, I don't really follow it cause it was, it was like 28 years <laughs> yeah. of, of that, you, you, you know, you brought up yeah. something interesting the the people you draft, you have some, you want to keep an eye on them, like some kind of a relationship. We talked about bunting. So mm. Michael bunting who went, it was a long road for him to get from where he is now and how he had to get through the minors and how he's worked. So you, do you keep an eye on all of those guys and, and Michael Bunting specifically, are you surprised at the heights he's been able to achieve these last two years? Well, absolutely. I follow those guys. I mean, that's the fun part of, of doing it, you know, and um, yeah, Michael's, you know, I'm, I'm here for a lot of the winter, but I still get a lot of the media from Toronto and, and I was there in the fall and it's, it's awesome to see what he's doing. Um, the, he's, I mean, he's a hero there in Toronto. Yeah. They just love what he's done. And um, even when he signed with Toronto, I had friends that, uh, you know, asked me about him. And I said, I said, this is exact. he's a good hockey player, but he's exactly what the Leafs need. He was the type of player. We all know what Mike, Michael does. He's so good around the net. He's, he, he's always had that uncanny ability um, to not only get to the front of the net and battle, lots of players will do that and that, but but what he does when he's there, he's had such great awareness when he's there. Like he, he can be battling with somebody and he knows where the puck is. He knows where, you know, the rebound's going to go. He knows, like he's really good. His, his awareness around the net is, is really good. Um, I'm really happy for him because like you say, it's, it was a long, long haul. And um, for whatever reason, which we won't get into, he, he, he never, they never give him the opportunity he deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner both said he's the perfect fit for that line. Connor Garland has said it too, because you know where he's going to be. It allows those other guys <laughs> yep. to do what they do because he's going to be parked right in front of the net doing doing the dirty work. And, and that's the surprising <laughs> thing because that's been his MO since junior. He was, we all know his story about in junior, he was a late bloomer. He never played till his, uh, never played triple A hockey growing up. And then um, he got, he got to the Sioux late. Most kids play three or four years junior. He didn't get there till he had two years remaining. And um, he took off in his draft year, and um, that's been his MO ever since. That's why we liked him. Is the way he plays now is exactly if you we pulled up my, the reports from when he was seven, 18 years old, they would say the exact same thing. And um, I'm not quite sure why he didn't get the opportunity here, but um, he's thriving in Toronto. Tim, before we get into your time with the Coyotes and then what this whole process is going to look like in a very important draft for the Coyotes. I want to ask you something. You and I had lunch a while back, and I think you picked up, by the way, so I owe you, so thank you for that. <laughs> oh, uh, my surprise face. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that happens a lot. So okay. It actually doesn't. I, I usually buy it for people. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Arizona as a hockey market, and you, you obviously have seen what this franchise has gone through for the past decade plus, trying to secure a foothold. But you said something to me over lunch. You really believe in this market, and you really think it can work if the situation is right. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I just do. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of transplants here. And I, I just think that when, when you go to a Coyotes game, I've been to two Coyote games this year, and you see the, the, the fans that are there and the passion that they have, and they're all wearing paraphernalia. And I mean, uh, I just think that, like, this has not been a very good organization for a long time, both on the ice and off the ice. And, and to have the, the fans still there, like, if this happened, you, you know, remember when it happened in Pittsburgh, they were ready to move the team. Yeah. <laughs> when it happened in Tampa, they were talking. Like, this team has been, you know, not very good for a long time. And to have the, the base that's, that's still there and still supporting the team is amazing. And I think that, you know, with ASU, I, I really think this is, like, you know, really going to help the hockey base. And it's... Uh, that that school with the new arena and everything that's that's just one more hockey level that the people are going to be able to see 
And I think that they will become, I think they'll become a top team. I, they should be able to recruit now with the top team. Who, who wouldn't want to come to, yeah. to Arizona <laughs> if you got a choice between a northern school and, and Arizona? I mean, yeah. the California kids, all those kids, like, and, and even, like I say, the northern kids, I think that ASU is going to become a real good hockey um, school, and I think it's just going to add to the hockey base and, and the young kids. You know, like you say, the, the, the girls' game's really picking up here, and... You know, you got Austin Matthews, who's who's from here. I just think that uh, if this team is when when this team and, you, and we do know when they were good back, you yep. know, when they were in downtown and mm-hmm. had some good teams. Everybody talks about how how good it was back then. So, so um, I just think that it'll be a real, you know, once this team becomes good and it will, um, then the hot it'll it'll really take off. Yeah. It's no secret that this is a rebuild right now and fans have only been looking toward the future. So as someone who's been obviously heavily involved in the scouting process, where is the scouting process right now? It's May 4th. So for the Coyotes right now, what what's happening? How much do they know? How you know? And I obviously the draft lottery is next week, so that will tell a lot. But what process of scouting is the team in right now? Well, it is. Um, I can't say exactly because they know it's like everything's about a month back. From, from normal, right? Because of COVID, everything got pushed yeah. back. The draft's back. The combine's back a month. The junior season is, is still going. It's about a month behind the Memorial Cup. has been pushed back and everything. But I would say in a normal year, they, they would right now be um, putting their, their list together. I'm pretty certain that if they haven't already, they're soon going to have meetings where they'll bring all the scouts into Arizona and uh, into Phoenix and hold meetings for probably four or five, six days, whatever it is that it, that it takes. They, they may spend a little more time this year having all those extra <laughs> picks. And uh, they'll put their list together. And um, from, from there, they'll go to the combine and um, do all the off-ice stuff that they do there. And, um, and then, you know, continue from then to the draft. They'll just probably weekly or every other day or whatever, they'll be in touch talking about players, tweaking things and just just coming up with information tidbits that they may have added from you know that somebody found out this from a coach or somebody interviewed the player and an ex another player that knew him or whatever and they just keep adding information until they come up with uh, the final list yeah so let's talk about the list because yeah. this is interesting to me so as a director who, who finally says okay this is our list because you've got a scout let's say a toronto area scout i love player a love him seen him 20 times this year, love him, he's my guy. And then you've got a Western scout just outside Edmonton. I love this guy, he's the guy, he should be here. So is that your call? Is it a GM's call? Like where, do you debate? Do you, do you put on boxing gloves? Like how do you decide what that list is? Okay, this is our list. Yeah, I think every GM, as far as the GM goes, I think everyone's, of them, every one of them is different, you know? I mean, I worked for Bob Gainey. Yep. He didn't know, didn't want to know, didn't know anything of Doug Armstrong, same thing, they really didn't, put their nose into the to the list that much um you know uh don maloney was a little bit more and then john shika a little bit um also especially the, the you know the top part of it but um i think that uh you know you have to listen to and it again it depends what area you're talking about if you're talking about the first round and that's a big debate yeah. right there's lots of guys every you try to get all your top scouts out to see those players when it comes to the fifth round and you know the scout out in 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 moncton loves uh connor garland um, you, you don't need, like, it's a fifth round. You don't need tons of scouts to go out to sure. see that player, you know? So you have to, over the years, you trust the scouts. So hopefully they, you know, they don't cry wolf too often. Like, yeah, they like this guy. They like that guy. Yeah. When yeah. they, you know, when they finally say, you know what, like, this is a guy and he'd be a perfect pick, 
you know, in a, in a certain spot of the draft type of thing. Um, we used to like to, to, to have the area scouts um, really have a lot of say in the later rounds because um, if you go see a guy once or twice, you're not going to, you know, you're only going to probably make a mistake there. But the, the, it's a process. I always say the scouting is a process, and it starts, it starts as an underage. You know, it starts when they're 16, and the area scouts, they know those players at 16. And so they see the progress at 17 and then that whole season, you know, like you can't just catch a glimpse of them in, in March and think that you're going to, you know, you're going to be able to figure out yeah. what that player is about. You got to see the the steps and the process that mm -hmm. uh, that player has, how much progression he has made and, and where he's, where he's going to head to, you know. But how long is that list, Tim? Like, is it, is it a thousand players deep? Is it 500? Is it a hundred? Or do you, like how, like it's, you got to have a lot of players on the list. You have to. So how long is your list? You do, but you'd be surprised. And I mean, again, that varies from team to team. Sure. We were always right around 75 or 80 players, you know, and you're going to get, you're going to get seven, eight players. You know, you, you, we never, I can say we had 75 and 80 and we never ran out. We never got really? to the point where we ran out of. So it's not the top, top 75, it's just who you're projecting to fall to those spots. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. There's yeah, going to yeah. be 200 and something yeah. players drafted, right? But yeah, uh, Colorado's you, not looking at Shane Wright right now because right. we're not going to get the draft Shane Wright for yeah. the Colorado Avalanche. So but, let's not worry about Shane Wright. No, that's I right. Can. And then, you, you know, like just, it, it's funny when you say that because people probably don't figure out how could you not have 200 names but you don't need you know because there's just there's so many players out there and you like certain players and and you know you can get them at a certain spot in the draft and um, you know usually usually you have a, a an area say for instance in the third round for instance you, you got about 10 guys that you you, you know you're going to get one of these guys so you yep. zoom right in on those guys and uh, you're probably going to get one in the third, and you probably get another one in the fourth out of that group, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's same thing for the fifth and sixth round. You know, sometimes you, you get a guy in the seventh round that, that you had in the group that was for the fourth round, you know, and that's just the way it works. So, right. yeah. Tim, when you look at the Coyotes situation this year in particular, and we still don't know what the, the number one pick is going to be, you know, their top pick rather, because of the lottery, but they are going to have seven selections in the first 45 picks of this draft. And in one crazy scenario, if it plays out with, with Colorado and Carolina, like getting to the cup final and playing each other, they could have six selections within a grouping of 15. <laughs> what sort of challenge does that present for a scouting staff? Well, I wouldn't call it so much a challenge. It's actually a really good situation. If it's, <laughs> it's Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Christmas. Again, like like I was just kind of talking about, like let's just say you start at 34 and you said, okay, you got the 34th pick. Then at that 34, if that's all they had, they would yeah. be looking at, again, probably seven or eight players that they, they know they're going to get one of those players. So they're yeah. zooming in on those seven guys. They've done okay. a lot of work on it. They've debated those players and to get them into the order that they want. And uh, they know they're going to get one. There's a real good chance that, uh, say so, so you got eight guys, there's a real good chance maybe two of them will already be taken. So now let's say you're at the third guy, then they take that third guy, now they got all these these other picks behind it, they're right. still going to get maybe two, three players from that group. And so they're going to be real excited about that because, you know, they're, they're, they're going to end up with uh, probably uh, uh, three or four players that they would have been happy to get, which is, which is the first pick and the second is... That would be 30, 33rd. 33rd. So yeah, yeah they're going to be, they're going to get uh, probably three or four players that they would have been happy to get with 34. So, so if you're a director of amateur scouting, you want to execute that many picks in that. You don't care. You just no, you know, get us the players we want. Yeah, yeah. And I shouldn't say, but it depends. Like if, if that group somehow dried up and by the time you got to 50, 
and there was none of those top, then you might, you know, then you might not be as exciting. You say, you know, if you, if somebody calls for this pick, you know, you can Gotcha. I was wondering how that process went. You might tip off the GM say, hey, we're, yeah. we're not interested in this grouping, so go ahead and make a deal. Yeah, not that we're not interested, yeah. but, you know, we could, we think maybe this next guy, we could get him <laughs> with our third round pick type of thing, you know? Yeah. So uh, you could take that chance uh, if, if you really wanted to. Plus, but with so many picks also, there's a real good chance that their phone's going to be ringing off the hook, you yeah. know, especially the way the drafts is set up uh, where, um, you know, uh, uh, Friday night, they have all the teams reconvene and they're looking at their list and now they're excited that this guy's still yep. here. And look at Arizona's got all these picks. We can maybe uh, pick up one of those picks from Arizona. So their phone's going to be ringing off the hook. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that uh, Bill will probably, I don't know, I won't be surprised if he moves one or two of them for multiple picks. And then that way... Yeah, and spread them out over years. Yeah, now. spread them out. That way, uh, you're, go, you're going, you know, you're supposed to have seven picks uh, every year for the next three or four years. He could be going with nine or 10 or 11 or 12 picks wow. to the draft. And you can set that up because I know I, I've seen teams do it in the past. Uh, you know, the LA Kings did it uh, when they were <clears throat> not a very good team. They picked up a lot of picks and Chicago did it for for years because, you know, all of a sudden somebody wants your second and you say, okay, well, you give us a second, a third, maybe a fifth or something like that. And then you just, then the next year, <clears throat> excuse me, you got multiple picks again. So they keep, it and it just keeps going, you know. Have you conversely, have you been on the other side of it too? Like you've worked all year, you've watched your staff, watched hundreds of games and then all of a sudden trade deadline comes up and your general manager trades away your first round pick and you're going, I don't have any picks. <clears throat> have you been on that side of it too? Oh yeah, that's happened. That <laughs> happened in Chicago when, um, you know, we traded the seventh pick for Ranta and Steppen. <clears throat> so, yeah, it happens, but there's not much you can do about it. You yeah. know, you're a scout at that point. You got to be a team player. And so your list is much different then. So you had a plan. You're not. You don't have a first round pick anymore. Now we got to look here. But you still got to do the exact same job and try to find that guy. Yeah, at that point. Now there's been years too at Dallas where the pick was traded a year in advance. Yeah. So you know, so you going it. into that season, you're you're not going to focus as much on you know that top. You, you got to get into that second round because you got to try and make sure that you're prepared for where you're picking you know so um they could always they always will tell you that they could pick up a pick but they it, that's not going to happen and you're, you're you're loosely you know you're just not digging in as much as you would on those yeah. top players it, same as if you're picking if you're picking 23rd in the draft you know you're, you're not spending much time on yeah. shane Wright yeah. and uh and those players you know mm-hmm. it just it doesn't make sense there's only there's only so many days in the year and there's so many players that you have to see and you have to try and get a handle on you spend your time. You got to spend your time. And again, going back, that's part of the um, head scout's job that I was telling you. You know, they yeah. got to try and you got to try and direct your scouts into the the right areas, and you have to you know to get get them to where they need to be, and not uh, wasting the time on Shane Wright or whatever. Right. You know, so. So I'm curious, and it's often been debated: do do teams pick the best player available, or do they pick the best? position that they need fulfilled i think that's something that people argue back and forth about maybe it's different in the first you know 10 picks versus the later rounds but what is the truth to that or at least what is your perspective on that yeah my perspective is you know best player available is kind of a you know it's a term that like uh every every team's list is different and i always use the i use the example i say and we took jamie ben in dallas so if you you do the the the, uh revision on on that draft patrick kane went one and so who's the next player, who's the next best player available? In, in hindsight, it was Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben's the second best player out of that. He went 129th. So did 127 wow. players, or 127 teams didn't take the best player available. But who knows who the best yeah. player? Nobody right. knows who the best player. So it's kind of a, it's a funny term, best player. Well, who knows who the best player yeah. available is, yeah. you know? So I, I don't really buy that, uh, you know, best player available. You take the best, 
you, you take the the best player on your list. You know, that's who you take. That's that's the the smart thing to do. But do teams go position wise? Yes, they do. And and we've done it in the past. You know, like you need center ice. You got to try and focus on center ice and take what you think is the best center iceman, you know, or uh, you need scoring on the wings, whatever, you, you know, or big defenseman, you, you do have to, you do have to play it a little bit towards, um, because it comes down to like, again, who knows who's going to be better <laughs> yeah. down the road, right? They're 17 yeah. years old, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Cause yeah, that's, yeah. scouting is so much of a crap shot. I don't know how you guys do the job yeah. you do, but like if, when, if you have a grouping of picks that tightly together, would that be one of those instances where you might not remember when Boston had three straight picks? Yeah. yeah. If you think three straight wingers are the three best players available, are you really going to take three wings or are you going to try and spread that out? Yeah, I think it'd be very unlikely that you have three wingers that are that are there. I mean, yeah. um, and again, winger could be a small, skilled guy. Winger could be big, strong, tough winger type of thing. So they're two different players and it doesn't yeah. matter that they play the same position. But uh, yeah, that's very unlikely. And it's a real good chance you're probably going to take a defenseman with one of them and a forward with the other one and who knows with the third one type of thing yeah I, I, you just talked about you know the jamie ben examples perfect example that's taken so late and here we've talked about drafts and draft picks here in arizona and debated on this show at length being on the other side of the table do you ever look at media and go okay yeah it's awful easy five years from now to go <laughs> jamie ben was a better player because at that day and we talk about dylan strom a lot Mm -hmm. Dylan Strom on that draft on that day and I've asked a lot of scouts with different teams and different managers and they said on that day at that table that day Dylan Strom was the third best player and he was the right pick that day do you get frustrated with media looking back and go well what about this guy you should have had this guy instead of that guy how'd you miss that guy do, do you ever want to go hey it's not that easy when they're 17 years old yeah, and I defend. Um, I, it's one of the things now. I love sports, so I, I follow all sports. Obviously, uh, from Toronto, I follow a lot of the Toronto sports. But I and and Scotty Barnes was just picked. He just won Rookie of the Year in the NBA. There's a lot of and, criticism and a lot of criticism. Like the the media, everybody, all the experts were saying they should have taken Suggs. Why did they take Scotty Barnes? So, so you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt because sure. the media just they they don't know. It's the people that are out in the rinks watching 200 games. Those are the people that have to make those decisions, and and it's it's pretty darn easy in the aftermath on and any of those drafts. And now, if somebody wants to tell me before the draft that you know <laughs> yeah. that that's the player that you, yeah. and you and you didn't do, or the day after the draft yeah. that you shouldn't, you know, but you know, five years down the road, it's it's a it's lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, getting back to Dylan Strom, I mean, a year after he was drafted. They did a panel of you know scouts from across North America and in and, and the world, and they all said the best player outside the NHL is Dylan Strome. Yep. So you know, I mean, and and you know, Dylan's he's doing fine. He got 20, 22 goals yeah. this year. Was he, you know, is he is he when he plays with good players, he's a good player, yes. and and he's a productive player. And I think uh, you know, it's it's all hindsight. It's hard to it's a hard business. Yeah. <laughs> But it's okay, we're point. still going to get draft crates. Yeah. We're yeah. going to get draft crates from a oh, million yeah. media oh, outlets. Yeah. It's going to drive yeah. me crazy. It's, I know. But it's the other the thing worst I said, too, and I've, been to, and I've been to some drafts, too, and I have nothing to do with amateur scouting. I look down at the table from afar and shake hands with the parents. That's what I did. I had nothing. I helped the head coach out. Yeah. But I have yet to see a team the next day go, oh, shit, we didn't get any of our picks. <laughs> we blew it. Well, every team, every GM, we got our guy. 
We, what a great, and that's across every sport, guy. by the that's way. Every yeah. sport. You got this guy in the fifth like round. Like I can, I can cite phrases that you'll hear from the GM that we were surprised that he fell that far. Oh. You hear all these things. Like, <laughs> and then you go to the development camp a week later and look at these guys, and you're like, huh? Like, wait, it's it's. it's like so, everybody's so excited about it, and I love that time of year, and I love the optimism. and And the Connor Garland is what you want. You want a kid like that. At, at we, okay, it worked. The process worked. We liked the kid for a lot of reasons, not just how he played, but he fit, checked all the boxes. And that's 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 the draft. You go, oh great! Like I probably, and this I don't want to minimize this, but I could probably at the Coyotes pick this year in the top four. Worst case, right? Top four. Yep. I've watched some. I've watched some clips and some highlights. Like, I could pick in the top two tomorrow, and go, I don't think anybody would go, okay, it's either Logan Cooley or Shane Wright. I could make that pick. It's from pick four to the end of the seventh round where you guys really, really, really earn your money. Like, that's got to be incredibly hard, and that's why this draft, as much as we talk about it, from the 15th pick through the fourth round, those players, they got to get those right, and they got to get a couple of them right to get this rebuild right. right. And I think that that's the hope for these Coyote fans that the staff that Bill Armstrong has put together can actually, they don't need to hit all of them. Yeah, they and they won't hit them all. They no. just, they, it, history should tell you they won't, but when you have that many, you're gonna hit more than your share. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's, that's the key for them. That, uh, so take us inside a draft day. Down to the table. We've all, I mean, I've covered several drafts from the outside. You know where we sit. We come and talk to you over the boards after, after, after the picks. But what is it like at that table? Who's doing what? What's the communication like? Is it as chaotic as it looks from the outside? Because like I said to you in the notes, it looks like the, uh, the floor of the stock exchange during trading. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it's not that. I mean, everybody's nervous. There's a lot of nervous tension for sure because you, there's certain players you want to get and you want it to fall your way type of thing. But I think that, um, you know, if you have your list and you're confident in your list, um, there shouldn't be too much chaos. I mean, what we usually do is, again, like I was mentioning earlier, like like let's just say, for instance, you're, you're picking uh, 23, then you have a list of certain number of guys and you're hoping to get one of those guys. And as the, they fall off the list, you just kind of discuss it amongst your group. You usually have like four or five, of the, you know, the top guys that see all the players, especially at that point uh, of the draft. So for instance, um, P.O. Joseph, for instance. Okay, so we got him and we got three or four other players and they're coming off the board. You're at 17, 18. It's like, okay, we, we're going to get one of these guys. You know, yeah. you can tell. And is everybody good? You know, you just talk amongst you. Is everybody good with, uh, say, Joseph's going to be the guy? By the looks of it right now, if like he's up next and if nobody takes him, are we good? You know, and everybody talks and discusses it. And yeah, we're really happy with that. So um, that's basically if he, if he goes, then you're talking the next guy is everybody, you know, because then you have two names left. And, you know, we're happy with these two guys type of thing. And, and you just talk about it, make sure that's the one you want and and uh, go for it there. Now, when you're when you're in the later rounds, say you're in the fifth round, again, it's amazing. Like you're going to have the next guy up and you're 10 picks away and it's like this is probably the guy we're going to get like there's a real good chance that nobody's going to take him between now and then and sure enough you just talk about him and you you go to the area guy that knows him say looks like we're going to get this guy are you happy with that and that's the guy oh yeah they're super happy in that round to get that player and and you just um carry on yeah conversely though you talked we already t- i already talked about him trading away your first round pick <laughs> have you been in a situation where it went the other way and you traded up because you got 
Did you get nervous? I go, oh, our list, this guy's going to go, we got to get him. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's available. the scenario that would prompt you to trade up? I mean, I, I, a lot of teams do that. I know Bill will do that. He has a tendency. We weren't big fans. We, we just felt like, you know what, like... Um, we're not that smart to know that this guy is going to be better than that guy. You know what I mean? We like both these players or these three guys, yep. and we have to have the one that's number one. Um, you know, uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes, most of the times it worked for us where we just, you know what, we're happy to get the guy. I can, I can tell you a story. I mean, Brandon saw it. We had him like 18th on our list, yep. and we probably should have moved up. We were picking, um, I can't remember, that was 40. We were picking 44, something like that. And uh, we had him and Brett Ritchie, and we liked Brett Ritchie too. Yep. And so, you know, we thought, should we trade up, get Brandon Sod, and then you have to give up, you know, a third and something else, or maybe second from the next year. And uh, we just said, you know what, we'll we'll stick with uh, we'll stick with this, and because and sure enough, the pick before Chicago took mm. Sod, and we got Brett Ritchie. So, I mean, sometimes it doesn't. It works to move up. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I've seen teams move up, and you know, the player they moved up for and gave up great assets for, it, it, it you know, it, it doesn't work, you know. And um, I think. If you look at the history of San Jose, a lot of teams that do it, sometimes it works and sometimes it, it doesn't. You know, I th- think everybody knows about the, uh, the oh, I can't remember now. Anyways. Uh, well, I can recite the Chicago Bears history on that front with yeah. Mitch Trubisky. So I'd <laughs> rather not yeah. talk about that, though. Let's, yeah. let's stick to hockey. I'll just get too depressed. I'm sorry, Leah. Oh, no, you're good. Well, I just want to take a break to remind everybody that we are brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app. We're talking a lot about gambling on the future. So that's what (laughs) sports betting is. Exactly. There's the segue. And this week, new customers at DraftKings can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. The NHL player playoffs are going on, of course, with the NBA playoffs. So it's the best time of the year. It's so fun. And good thing I didn't put money down on game one of all my picks because I was two and six in my series winners have all been losing. Um, So not putting my money where my mouth is literally yet. So maybe just do the opposite of what I said and you'll win some money. Um, So be sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the promo code PHNX. When you sign up, also all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, but $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. As always, that's 21 and over. Arizona only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for more details. Tim, we have talked a lot about the process and what the Coyotes are going to be facing. I want to dive into your experience a little bit more. Um, and, and I want to start with this because one of the things I like about dealing with Bill Armstrong, and he's a scout by trade, so it probably helps that he has that perspective He's very deferential and complimentary to the scouts. Like when when we're talking about a player, whether it's Karel Vemelka or JJ Mosier, he'll tell me the scout that that watched him and really brought them to their attention. That's got to feel good as a scout because you guys basically toil in anonymity. You get your day in the sun at the draft, and that's about it. That's the only time we ever hear from even the director of scouting. It's crazy sometimes. Is it tough being in that? position is and is it nice to have somebody who who gives you recognition do you not care well personally i didn't care but i think that bill does a great job with that i think it's yeah. awesome that he does that he's he's got a scouting background so he knows he knows what those scouts most gms did not do what bill did, did and that is go through the process bill spent a lot of years out on the road doing exactly what i was talking about earlier 200 games and and um putting in the hard work and i think that uh, that's really a great thing that he does that and and acknowledges his scouts and gives them 
uh, the credit that they deserve because you, I always say the, the GMs get the credit for the good players and the scouts get the credit for the bad players, <laughs> get the blame for the bad players, you know, and you know what, you just live with it. It's just like whatever. And, and you just, it, you know, we enjoy doing it and that's why we do it. And, um, I certainly didn't, uh, didn't need any, uh, any credit for any players. That's for sure. I, and we talk about the, the, when you started your career in the National Hockey League as a scout, the internet was different. Social media was different. Twitter mm. was different. Like the scouts now, you go, oh well, this kid's really good. Look, he just pulled off a of Michigan. I just saw it yesterday. You got? Are you? Do you want him? Do you want that player? So has the internet helped? Has it hurt? Is it? Are there teams that rely too heavily on video and not as much on the eye test? And where do you stand with video analytics, social media versus getting your butt inside a hockey rink? Well, there's no doubt. I think that getting yourself inside a hockey rink is the number one thing you got to do, and you got to get out there and, and see games live. Um, you, there's so much that goes on in a hockey game. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the number, the two hardest things to scout in hockey are hockey sense, which are, are, happen to be the most important. Hockey sense and compete. And those two things on video are almost impossible to really get a feel for because how smart a player is uh, away from the puck. That's those are the, that's where you're learning about his hockey sense is the scene, the areas that he's going to, the things that he's doing without the puck, um, and and then his compete. Even his compete is not always you know when it's on the puck, it's away from the puck too. And so those two areas are really hard to do on video and and to really focus on on video. So I think that uh, you know you got to get yourself into the rink. There's so many situations in a game, uh, even him going to the bench, him do you know there's different mm -hmm. things you're watching for and trying to pick up on uh, how he's interacting with his coaches, those types of things. You just don't see them on video so it's it's super important to uh to get to the rinks and, and see the see the games and that's simply because the camera doesn't follow it right that's yeah, what you're saying you just li literally don't have the material to look at no that's right the camera basically is on the puck and yeah and that's you know that's that's what they got even if you had an iso it wouldn't it still wouldn't give you the whole the whole situation you got to see the whole picture and and uh, realize what a player is doing why he's doing it and is he thinking proper you know is he is his to get his hockey read on his hockey sense I want to get back to actually being a scout on the road. I know PD had asked what a day in the life is like, but do you have any like crazy, you must have some crazy stories from the road or I don't know, some experiences. Do you have any stories you can share from being on the road scouting? Well, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of crazy stories when you start going to Russia, you know, or, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sure. yeah. wow. Russia was where, um, you know, where there was a lot of, a lot of stuff come out of, but I can tell you one where, um, there was this tournament up uh, in, um, I can't remember where it was in Russia. Uh, but anyways, it was up and long ways away. And there was some outpost. Yeah, you're not taking you're not taking domestic flights up there. Just you, we all know about the Russian airlines and the, so Goran Stube, who ran uh, the, uh, European Central Scouting, he organized a charter. So most teams were sending like this is the big tournament in February. Most teams were um, the five nations. Most teams were sending they send five six scouts. So you're talking. You know, you're talking a full flight, 150, sure. 175 scouts were going on it. So we all get to the airport, and of course there's fog. It's terrible fog. So we waited like 10, 12 hours at the airport. And then uh, we get on the charter, and we go to this this town. And on the way out, now you board the plane, you walk across the... So as we're walking to the plane, there's uh, Russian, uh, I guess, the workers, and they got the guy's got a cigarette in his mouth, and he's got a jug. And he's pouring the jug on the wing, 
and he's got an old and he's on the wing and he's got an old mop type of thing and he's mopping and this is this di this is the icing you know this is and we're getting on this plane and everybody's just looking at each other and we're just terrified so so then we get on that flight and we go back and Russia Moscow I guess it was must have been foggy for the week because it was still the guy comes on and says there's two major airports in Moscow and we're not going to be able to land at the one that we were supposed to it's too foggy and he says we got to go around it's going to take us an extra half hour or whatever like 10 minutes later because you can't see nothing it's foggy it's dark <laughs> boom we hit the ground so we we had landed he said he said oh, i was in the end we find oh it was okay we ended up landing there you know <laughs> oh my god and, oh, no. yeah no and it, it was russia you get lots of <laughs> lots of those stories and uh yeah it was but you talk about the camaraderie and it, you you traveled as a group with other scouts from other teams and i'm sure you've got friends that work for other teams but you guys see each other literally every single day in different cities and provinces you know yeah it's the people you work with is it the cold war is it hey you can't see my list or do you go hey well, what do you think of player a what do you think of his game tonight like do you to kind of talk about shop or is it more you really shouldn't i mean some scouts probably do i mean i i know our scouts uh we we frowned on that you know yeah. like don't give them anything you want to give them put it that way yeah. you know like you can generalize and you we'll can talk about the weather and your drive yeah, in but you, don't talk about player a or yeah, player b you can generalize or you can lie whatever you yeah. prefer you know but, <laughs> but, but don't tell them anything you but don't. it's still a group you sit yeah. together you're oh, friendly yeah with there's each lots other. of lots of you know the scouting fraternity it's great you know everybody yeah. looks after everybody you you know if somebody needs a ride you might have to give them a ride if somebody need you know whatever they need you know you, you, you help out and you know like you're in a scouts room like this uh before a game and there's 20 or 30 scouts so you're chatting with you know yeah. all of them you so know you're friendly stuff. with them your car yeah. breaks down in moose jaw you've got that's right help. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a good group, and uh, you know they're they're all uh, they all help each other out. Yeah, for sure. Having said that, you mentioned the time away from family. Did it get lonely at times? I mean, it's got to be tough to be on the road that much. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, again, in the end, that's that's one of the reasons where you just kind of say, you know what, enough is enough. But uh, yeah, hmm. you have to. You know, you try to keep your. We do keep ourselves busy on the road. At least I did. You know, I like to again. Uh, what I was telling you about earlier, when you're on the road, you're doing all. So you're in your hotel room, and you're again, you're doing all that. So you're you're trying to get, you know, you're looking at schedules, and you're trying to uh, arrange flights, and you're trying to. So you're busy during the day. You get a workout in, and then you go to the game, and then you move on to the next city the the next day. But yeah, you and um, sometimes you know. Uh, in the second half of the season a lot you travel with another scout from your team because now you've narrowed it down the players and you're trying to go together so you can go see them together and chat a little bit about the player and discuss what you're seeing and and that so it's it's good in that sense especially like i say in the second half and then when you're in ontario it's it's good because um like that's i mean when you're on your home base you know there's scouts in your area that 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 you know and you'll yeah you go into that game well let's meet here and we'll drive to the game together and stuff so again that ends some of that loneliness too so yeah i'm curious is there something either your whole time as a scout but specifically your time with the coyotes that you're most proud of you know maybe a player that you fought for that you know panned out and obviously this is kind of a hindsight question but what are you most proud of your time as a scout overall and as a scout with the coyotes yeah i mean i think you're always proud of all the players that you're part of drafting i always say a part i didn't draft any players you know our group did our group discussed the players are and and uh so we all did but yeah you're proud of i mean that the you know the kellers and the chickerins the guys that are going to all-star games you're proud of them but i think you're also always proud of um the later round guys you know the guys that you can you can get in the later rounds i think you know like mayo and garland and 
you know, players like that, it's it's always fun to uh, to, to to and and you're always you know excited about those guys because other you know whatever they were passed on a lot of times you know but just a, a player like um like Connor Garland just to, to give you some insight there like I mean he uh Connor uh he did not he he, he actually when once we got him here we, that's when you kind of, when you take him in the fifth round you don't know what you're getting mm-hmm. like we tried to do where we interviewed and we did stuff we interviewed coaches his coaches who told us he's not you know he's not going to play in the NHL you know? wow. So, so wow. that you know, that's why you got to put a wow. lot of stuff in perspective, you know, and you just got to go with what wow. you feel, you know. And we had no idea when we drafted him that he is like as as determined, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like yeah. The thing about Connor was he didn't look like an NHL. He had skill and he had talent, and you know, he was a bit of a you know a greasy player, but he did not play anything near an NHL game. You know, he was a cherry picker. He was you know, and mm-hmm. scout. A lot of scouts would hate that about him, you know. And he he was his his. The uh, attention to detail wasn't very good, but you've seen what he did have. Yeah. And what what you didn't know is the fact that he he was determined to, once he turned pro and realized that that game was going to get him nowhere, that's why he spent two and a half years in the minors. That's why his first year in in, um, in Tucson, he didn't really play a whole lot because, again, it was that transition where he had to just kind of learn, like, okay, that game that you played in junior is not going to work here. And, and so Connor... To his credit, he was amazing. I mean, he spent his summers, you know, he spent his yeah. summers here in Arizona. Like, we had no idea that he was that determined and that that uh, set on. Uh, so, so sometimes you get lucky. Um, it was it was impossible to know those things about him. But uh, that's he got himself there. He willed himself to the national. And that's where you look at those players. Like it's Garland, it's Bunting, and it's Jan Yannick now. We're kind of like there's finally that light bulb moment that you go, oh, like. Garland used to come to, to camps in the fall and you go, it's a junior. Like he's yeah. that's junior stuff. You can't do that. It's the NHL. I can't. That's junior. See you down in Tucson. And that's and when he finally goes, Oh, I gotta play like this. I can still have that part of my game. I can still have the grit. I can still have that. But I need to do other things away from the puck. Once he got that, same thing for bunting, too. I thought he yeah. had that chippiness to his game that it distracted from his offensive side. Once he goes, okay, I can have that physicality and chippiness. But I can also be really offensive. Once I found that mix, he was good. And Yannick's finding his way too. I think he's gonna. He follows a similar mold, and they've got that little feistiness to him. They just got to get that light bulb moment. Which brings me to this: you see the player, you've talked to their coaches. Do you spend time? Is part of it picking up the phone and, and talking to other people? Hey, do you know this kid? Whether it's a an equipment guy or a guy from that kid's town or finding out what that person is like, not the hockey player, not how he skates and his stick work and all that. What is the person like and how important is that piece of it? What kind of a person is he? How important is that to your drafting? Yeah, that's obviously important. But like I said, you know, you can get information sometimes from coaches wrong. That, yeah. that's, you know, that's not, so you have to weed through it and you really have to go with your, your own, uh, you know, your, your own instincts and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's all important when, when, um, Every team's different again on that. I have to specify. Every team's different. Now, one of the things that we did in Arizona was, and in Dallas when I was in Dallas, um, was we didn't believe in just going out and interviewing players uh, during the season. and, and see, Because we felt that, what I felt anyways personally, that scouts sometimes, and it'd be myself too, is that you go to see a kid in December and you really like the kid as a person. Like you, you know, like... You're watching him play so far. You don't have an opinion on him as a player, but you're building that opinion. But then you go and you meet him, and he's a great kid, great and kid. you love him. And he's a, then you yep. watch him the rest of the year, and you're influenced a little bit. You want to like him more than, you know, maybe he's not that good, but yep. you want to like him more, and vice like versa, right? There's yep. a kid the kid that you you, um, you, you really like, 
you meet him. He's terrible, terrible kid. Like you just don't not terrible kid, yeah. but you just don't hit it all. Rubs you just, you the wrong way. He rubs you the wrong exactly. So now all of a sudden you go back. But he's a really good player, and you go back and you watch him. Now you're trying to find holes in him, and you're trying to. I always tell us, let's let's find out if we like them as players. And then if they make our list, then we go and, and we interview them. You know, so it follows do, up with the, with the, the tests that you hear about, especially in the NFL, how they take the Wonderlic, the Wonderlic like tests. And, yeah. and I know the NHL at the Combine, there are teams that rely very heavily on these psychologists or sports psychologists sitting with the players. And some teams, they have a lot of influence, these sports psychologists and these people, how they perform on the tests. Where do you land on that part of the scouting process? Again, I... I can't. I honestly don't. We don't put as much stock in it as I guess some people do. No, because again, I can give you. I love to give the example. Um, um, again, I'll talk. I'll mention Jamie Ben. So yeah. we drafted Jamie Ben in Dallas in the fifth round, and uh, I seen a scout in the summer from another team. Yeah. Good friend of mine. I know him well and stuff. He says, "Ah, oh, you know, you guys drafted Ben." Hey, he says, "He says, uh, um, uh, did you test him or anything? Because he didn't go to the combine, fifth round. You know, they don't sure. take those kids, right? I said, uh, no. I said, we don't test uh, we don't test the players. Uh, he said, oh, he says, we tested him at the, whatever, University of Victoria. And, you know, Jesus. He, he, he's a good friend. So he could tell me that he was terrible. You know, everything was really bad, yep. right? And uh, I just thought to myself, well, then it's a good thing we didn't test him because we might not have drafted <laughs> yeah. him. So that team didn't draft him. And because then this guy told me he loved the player. He said, oh, yeah. I love Jamie Ben, but he yeah. says, you know, did you guys test him? And, wow, and and so wow. so Jamie Ben was one of those players. He was a baseball player, really good baseball player. He was a hockey player in the winter and a baseball player in the site. You know, he he liked hockey, but it wasn't his number one thing at the time. It was one yeah. A or whatever, one B. And he spent time playing baseball in the summer. He didn't work out like he didn't work hockey specific type of thing. So and and he was just a naive kid. He didn't know he didn't you know he's from the island in, sure. in Vancouver. He didn't know that you know he had to be tip top this and that at seventeen years old and stuff. So so that team missed out on the player because they didn't you know he's seventeen year old players. It, it's not all equal, right? They don't right. all get the same benefits and they're not all on the same. So, so it's it's what they're going to be at at twenty three or twenty four. So so that was you know that was just a, an wow. example of you know if you want to put stock in it, go ahead. You know and then go into the combine. I always say like. Like a lot of people, a lot of teams will say, well, um, you know, this test really tells you if he's going to be a good skater or not. And that so I said, so then Connor McDavid, when he went to the, he wiped out all these, he wiped up on all these tests. No, he was in the middle of the pack. <laughs> well, how could that be? How yeah. could Connor McDavid? Best skater in the game. Yeah, how could he not win every one? If these tests are supposed to be in, indicative of how yeah. you're going to be, huh. how come he didn't win every one or of them? Like you know, Sam I mean? Bennett not being able to do multiple pull-ups. Wayne Gretzky yeah. said yeah. one. Said, yeah. Because he couldn't do pull-ups or push-ups or bench presses. Yeah, but do you yeah. need to do that in the game? Like, yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> tests and working out in the yeah. gym are all, hey, well, look at the guys, this leaping ability. Who, I don't want to say HK, but who cares on some <laughs> of the stuff? Can he play? Yeah. Can he play the game? How does yeah. he out there? And so I would hate to miss out on a good player because, because like, just like they say with Jamie Ben, you'd yes. hate to miss out on that player because he didn't test good off yeah. the ice. If you really liked him Great on the story. ice, yeah. which this scout particularly did, did. you know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, that's it's up to the teams. Whatever you do, whatever um, you know. So, a couple more questions. We'll wrap up here, Tim. But I wanted to ask you: Did you ever get into a? You know, we always hear these stories about scouts will pound their fist for a guy. Did you ever have to do that with a GM? Really, really fight for your case to draft this guy? No, not with a GM for sure. Because, um, as I mentioned earlier, Bob Gainey, Bob's yeah. there. He was just like, "You guys do your thing." He says, "If you need me, you know." Because if somebody calls. 
mm-hmm. trade up or trade down, then the GM's involved in that, right? So he says, you know, if you need me, let me know type of yeah. thing. So, so the GM, Doug Armstrong, same way. They didn't really, because um, they don't know the players. So, yeah. so they don't, um, they don't really, I mean, um, you know, in the end, uh, yeah, John, he, he, John Shika, he, uh, he liked to have some, some say. So, but I, I can't say that there was a real, you know, fist pounding uh, or any of that. And, and that's what your meetings are for. And that's what, you know, to, to get that stuff straightened around and, yeah. and to, to go back and forth and the pros and cons of certain players. And that's what those are for. And I, I don't think that, uh, and I've heard of many organizations that do that, but I can honestly say that, uh, you know, I can't really recall having a, a real okay. fist pounding. Last question for me. And we, we alluded to this earlier, how hard it is to project for kids that are this young. Where do you stand on the idea of raising the draft age so that these kids can physically and mentally develop a little bit more? Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it would change too many things. Uh, I think that uh, you know there's going to be mistakes, and you look at the history of the draft when it was 20. And then I always like to like because people ask me, you know, how hard is it to do 17, 18 year old kids? And I tell them it's pretty hard. And uh, again, I I mentioned that I follow all sports, so. Joe Burrow, we all know who Joe yep, Burrow was. Yep. So the NFL draft, it's like 22, 23 years old, right? When Joe Burrow was 22 years old, uh, he was a, what it would be, he would be a junior. And uh, going into his, his senior year, into his draft year, he was rated by all the experts, scouts, you know how they do all their kids. He was rated as a fourth round pick. So he's 22, year, 22 years old and they thought, you know, all the scouting they had done on him, everything, they, yeah, he's a fourth wow. round pick. And then, of course, he worked his way to number one. And that's at 23 years old, yeah. you know. And now we're supposed to be able to project at 17 how these kids are going to be at, you know, we're, we're looking to see what they're like at 22, 23. These guys get to evaluate them at that age, and they still it's still a really hard process yeah. because until you get them in the NHL, until you get them uh, under your, you know, and really learn the inner inner makings of them, it's, it's uh, you know, it's tough job. Trust and, me. and it, it's not... And it, it's not just you guys either. It's not just the scouts because now it gets handed off to development and now it's mm-hmm. gets handed off to coaching and not just their coaches and juniors, it's coaches in the American League and where do they fit? What are the players around them like? Like, it's not all you. It's, and, there's so many things to get them from here to here. In the and, and, and pro scouts the same. Like, look at look at Michael Bunting's a good example, yes. right? Like, they watched him. Pro scouts watched him at 22, 23, yeah. 24, and now they all said, nobody jumped up and said, let's got to get Michael Bunting, Bunting because he can get 65 points for us. You know, and th- there it is. You know, the guy did it. You know, and so it's it's a difficult job, and I don't blame those guys. I'm just saying it's it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult job. For well, sure. for this organization right now, and I both of us have been around this team, and Craig also, really hard years, really good years, and this I know this was a bad year statistically. I get it; they finished towards the bottom, but I still believe there's hope. I believe they have some good players in the system right now. I think they have good prospects. And the ability to draft this many players just gives us hope. When you look at this as a scout and see the number of picks, do you go, God, I wish I was still in this. Like, I, I wish I had this draft. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wish I had it five years ago or <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago. But no, I, I don't think uh, that doesn't make me want to <laughs> yeah, get jump back, back at in. all. No, no, I did <laughs> my thing and I enjoyed it. And But uh, yeah, they're going to have a lot of fun. The scouts are going to have yeah. Daryl Plandowski. He'll do a good job. He's a, He's been in it for a long time and he helped build the Tampa Bay Lightning and he knows what he's doing. So, um, and I'm sure so there's Bill, hope. There's a lot of hope, I think. Uh, it's going to take some time though, because these kids that are going to draft be drafted this year are 18 years old. And I mean, it's very rare that a kid uh, that age is going to make any impact. Uh, Bob Gainey was always a great, you know, had a great line about, you know, keeping underages and, and stuff. And he, he said they, they might be able to play in the NHL right now, but 
can they have an impact? You know, yeah. and usually that mm. doesn't happen until 21 or 22. You can see it. You can see it here with you know whether it's Chickering or um, Keller. You know, before they've really had an impact, they're 21, 22 yeah. years old. They played in the NHL before that, but yeah. um, they didn't impact the game or uh, very much at that age. Yeah, it's hard. Well, Tim, we can't thank you enough for doing this. I feel like I have so much insight into the drafting and scouting process now, and I know the draft is something that Coyotes fans have been looking forward to since before the season started. <laughs> I know. Um, Pretty so, much all they've been looking yeah, forward to. Yeah, literally. So we appreciate yeah. you coming on, and we'll continue to you know talk to draft experts and scouts and that sort of thing we'll going forward in the next two months here and the draft lottery is next week. So we're going to see how that all plays out, but be sure to become a member at gophnx.com because Craig also does prospect reports monthly. So we'll have tons and tons of pre-draft, pre-draft lottery coverage, post-draft lottery coverage, post-draft coverage, tons and tons of content coming, even though it's the Coyotes off season, it's really just the beginning of our coverage here at PHNX. So become a member today. You can sign up for your, your year membership, get a shirt when you do, or do month to month to get your first month. Just 50 cents and join our members only Discord as well. And also as a reminder, today's the last day to join our PHNX Coyotes bracket challenge for the playoffs. I think it closes right before the first puck drop of the games tonight. So get your picks in. Mm. It's tweeted. It's in the members only Discord. Any final notes before well, we... Just on that bracket note, you all have a good chance of doing better than the three of yeah, us so true. far. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. smart yeah. we are about yeah. the game. I know. What, what if I just Where else secretly, can you get this sort of insight? I could just content, go secretly right? change my picks now that we've seen how the game ones have played out. But um, <laughs> Tim, thanks again. We appreciate you so much for coming on. Everybody, thank you so much for listening and watching. And we'll be back with an audio episode tomorrow and we'll be back live here Friday at 11. So thank you all. Follow us on Twitter at phnx underscore coyotes and have a great rest of your week, everyone.